Return on India is the latest release in the Colossus family of podcasts. For full transcripts and more supporting materials, make sure to check out joincolossus.com. There you will find the full library of content from Colossus shows like Invest Like the Best, Business Breakdowns, Web3 Breakdowns, Founders, 50X, and now Return on India. If you'd like to stay up to date on all announcements for Return on India and other Colossus shows, make sure to sign up for the weekly newsletter again on joincolossus.com. Now on to the show. Welcome to Return on India, a deep dive series covering one of the most populous and promising economies in the world. Through conversations with central figures in Indian business, Return on India will unpack the details that matter for investors and operators. We will examine the unique cultural dynamics behind emerging demographic trends, and we will drill into key sectors by talking to the business leaders driving change. We plan to investigate the past, present, and future as we explore India's investment case. To find more episodes, transcripts, and a library of content to continue your learning, visit joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts, podcast guests, their employers or affiliates may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. My guest today is Nisha Agee, founder and CEO of Jump. In the last conversation we had on Return on India, we had Nitin Kamath, the founder and CEO of Zeroda. In that conversation, we focused on how Tier 1 India is advancing up the maturity curve with respect to financial literacy. Today, we explored the opposite. We explored the rest of the Indian landscape. How do non-Tier 1 Indians think about investing, spending, and saving? And there's nobody better than Nisha to help us understand. JAR was founded two years ago and has over 10 million users today. The product is super simple and has a unique characteristic that resonates with mass India. When you use JAR, you invest in gold. We covered a bunch of topics in this one. Why gold? How a simple product is actually incredibly complicated to build. The psychology of India's consumer class. And the fast-changing behavior patterns of India's next generation. Please enjoy my conversation with Nishay A.G. Nishay, excited to have you on. We're going to talk a lot about JAR and investing in India. You and I had a really fun conversation when I was in India in November. I wish we hit record on it. Hopefully, we can bring many of those insights and nuances to life in today's discussion. Maybe to start with, help us understand what the financial products landscape in India looks like. Financial landscape in India, it's very different and very confusing. And it continuously confuses every day. The way we categorize the users, the way we categorize the services, the way we categorize the mapping of users to services, sometimes it's bonkers. So we consider someone who is working in, say, forces, starting his job at 30,000 rupees per month salary. We consider him tier one at the same time in the same city, someone who is selling cigarette to the same guy, making 50,000, 60,000 rupees per month is considered as, for some reason, blue collar. So it's quite a wide range of users and the way we categorize them is also very, very different. And all the products which are there in the market, it's pretty much tuned for the 1% or the tier one audience where they assume a lot of things about their education level, their financial literacy, their disposable income, the ability to understand jargons, the ability to navigate the products. The assumptions are way too much. And as and when you add 
more assumptions to your product or your offering, the top of the funnel keeps shrinking. The number of people that whom you can serve keeps shrinking. And that's where we are today. That gives us a great opportunity to serve hundreds and hundreds of millions of users in India. Yeah. And so double click on that a little bit more. What's the opportunity here when you think of creating financial products for India's masses or hundreds of millions? What does that actually mean? Maybe double click a little bit more to explain why there is that opportunity for hundreds of millions. There are very well-built companies out there, which is catering to the 1%. The banks to a lot of other companies like Zero, the Grow and all. Beautiful products built for high intent, high engaged, engaged users. But apart from this, there is massive market. It does not mean that they are not catered to, but they're catered in a very fragmented, unorganized manner. It can be chit funds, it can be local loan sharks, it could be uh, insurance agents who is your uncle. They are served in some manner, but it's very, very highly fragmented. The information is not reaching the last guy. The options are not reaching the last guy. That's what creates the massive opportunity. There are like billion people with bank accounts with only 33 million people have ever invested in stock market, mutual fund, index fund. Only 30 million people have a credit card. Uh, hardly few million people have bought insurance digitally till date. So there is a massive opportunity where enough people with disposable cash, enough people with basic financial literacy are available, but no product has reached them yet. And that's what we are going after, building a product which makes sense for the middle India. The creds of the world is catering to the 1%, the ICICI, the cred, the grow, the zero. All these people are beautiful products serving to the 1% population. And there are many other products which are built equally beautiful and catering to other category of users at the lower end of the markets. The middle India is highly ignored and that's what we are building for. People who are aspirational, people who are starting their careers yet to learn the ways of world, yet to learn the ways of finances, handling money for the first time in life. You need to teach them not just investing, taking mutual loans or getting the right insurance. You need to teach them how to manage money. You need to teach them how to build the right relationship with money. You need to teach them how to manage their aspirations and desires. And that's how you go about it. And I think that's what makes it most challenging and actually candidly most interesting, right? So when we were talking in November, you were telling me that a big part of the issue is not just building a product that hits on the feature functionality that people need to use. A lot of it is actually financial literacy behavior. If you were to describe the average Indian's relationship with money, how would you do that? How would you describe that? Majority of the Indian population lives in tier two, tier three cities. They're working hard. They're studying hard. Their goal is to move to a tier one city or probably do something big in their own hometown. The aspirations are way too big. And that's where it all starts. Aspiration in terms of career is there. Aspiration in terms of experiences is there. Aspiration in terms of owning things are there. Financial literacy is somewhere amongst all these three things. So you need to build a product which helps people get better with what they do help them build a right habit with the money help them build the right relationship with the money and slowly eliminate all sorts of friction remove any sort of pretension within the product 
and slowly help them you cannot make them crash into an habit you need to ease them into an habit you need to build that relationship help them start small help them start every, do them as often as possible and keep at it you cannot just drop off from it that's the challenge that you need to solve once you figure out how to solve this you can bring massive amount of users onto the platform and cater to all their financial needs Yeah, one of the interesting parts that you had shared with me that I often refer to when I talk to investors over here is the idea that when you think of the average Indian's relationship with money in addition to what you just said, there's this new element or piece that I think people in the west don't give as much credence to India, which is this concept or idea that people in India whether they're in tier 2, tier 3 cities, etc., they grew up with exposure to what rich looks like. we know india is a very poor country when you think of the masses but they grew up with exposure to what rich looks like and whether that's often thought of in a first degree sense which is what rich looks like in india but the reality you were sharing with me which i think is really interesting actually is its exposure more so to what rich looks like in the west this next generation of indians grew up watching shows like friends seinfeld big bang theory etc maybe you can unpack that a little bit more and the effect that that has on behavior patterns because i think it's a really interesting observation yes absolutely i mean we had multiple i mean we had different reference points based on the kind of exposure you have for some people rich are the people who are cousins moving coming from tier one towns for your summer holidays or your winter holidays or it could be your favorite hero doing everything flaunting everything on the screens or you could be in engineering college or you could be some other college hostel where you pick up these shows and it defines various aspirations if someone who was in tier 2 who never knew about levi's now is his aspiration is to have a levi's jeans or a nike shoe or it could be having a certain type of motorcycle because that's what his favorite hero from the movie was riding so aspirations are way too different and everything looks plausible now and that's where it gets interesting the moment you start earning all your energies goes towards fulfilling your dreams fulfilling your aspirations and by the time you realize it you're already almost 10 years done and that's why average age of indian to start earning is about 20 and average age of indian to start investing is about 30 a good decade is lost between the first dollar made and the first dollar invested and that's where we saw an opportunity we thought we can build a product go after this user base catch them young help them build the right habit clearly position the product between highly aspirational or 1% population products versus the others and create a pathway for them where they can realize most of their aspirations and that's the interesting wedge right because i think when most people especially from the west think of indian culture you think of conservative indian culture meaning savings before spending probably a higher proportion or higher ratio of savings than to spending and there's this interesting phenomenon that's going on in the evolution of culture in India largely led by its youth which is this idea of consumption and heavy heavy consumption which is a concept that is very well known in the west with credit cards and so on and so forth but that is now becoming an emergent behavior in India which creates for a very interesting landscape for a product like jar and the need and importance then of saving Yes the consumption is basically four categories are there right now if you consider youths it's experiences travel electronics and fashion this is where most of the expenditures are going and more and more fast fashion is getting traction in india brands like h&m zara and all picking up big time in india and there are so many similar brands 
establishing themselves pretty well in G2C space and all of those things. And people are lapping onto it. People are buying big time, uh, all these products and the whole new channels of reaching out to tier two audience through BT Instagram influencers or e-com platforms and all. Back in the days when I was living in tier two and doing my school days and my college days, we had no access to big brands like Levi's or Adidas in my hometown. This is something that you could buy only when you come to Bangalore. But given the new channels of reach through e-com, be it Flipkart, Amazon, for fulfilling Instagram for education and all other social media, be it YouTube and all for education, there is higher reach of all these products. And this creates more and more avenues for everyone to keep spending money. And that's where the need of product like JAR comes in, where it helps people to not just spend, but also start saving, start their first steps, help them rigorously, continuously save something on a daily basis. Well, I think it's helpful to understand that context because it sets the stage for why JAR is built the way it is. And there's two elements I want to unpack. Maybe you can help us understand in kind of two sentences what JAR is, right? So everybody listening knows. But there's two elements I really want to unpack as related to the product. One is the simplicity of the product and the decision to build that way, keeping the Indian consumer in mind, some of the elements we just talked about. And the second is why gold? The financial product you guys built is specifically around gold. So I want to unpack those two pieces. Maybe we can start with simplicity. But before that, Nisha, maybe you can just give us the two, three sentences on what JAR actually is. Sure. I'll go back a little bit about why we started JAR. This was during pandemic when the first lockdown happened. I saw how things fell apart around me. I saw so many friends, so many close acquaintances who lost their jobs because of pandemic, who had to, who could not open their shops, their businesses were stuck. And what they really suffered was with cash flow. And I was like really surprised. Like you worked all your life and you're not able to manage two, three months of disruption in your cash flow. And there was no access to meaningful credit given the KYC, in-person verification and all of those things. There was massive challenges around dispersal of digital credit also. And apart from that, hardly people had insurance. And that's where we sense there is a gap in the market. We need to build a product which will help people uh, start their journey of financial well-being, where we will help them with savings and investments, credit and insurance, all three things. So we started doing market research. We went out on the streets. We interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people asking them, when did they start earning? When did they start saving? Why did they start saving? What made them start saving? Who got them into savings? And if they're not saving any money, how do they manage their uh, rainy day? For example, it's 20th of the month, they run out of cash. How do they manage the next 10 days? And apart from that, we also try to understand how do they categorize their investments? If they are investing, where are they investing? Why are they investing that asset class? It gives us an amazing amount of insights about how typical middle class India looks at money, how they earn it, how they spend it, how they categorize it, what it means to them in their everyday lives. With all these learnings, we figured out that people are not financially literate. They don't understand stock market, mutual fund, index funds. They have psychological barriers about the ticket size, how much they can come on with. They had a lot of frictions being indecisive. They didn't know which to pick, why to pick this, why not to pick this. And the overall cognitive load involved in 
getting started with investment sources are pretty high. And we figured out that we need to solve for each one of them. We need to build the least path of resistant product to people to get started with. We need to bring down the cost of participation. And that's what we started. We thought of building the product in a way where people can start investing with as low as just 10 bucks in a single asset class, which they trust the most, which is gold. India and affiliation to gold goes back three, four thousand years back. Since then, we have been a great believer in the instrument and it has lived up to its expectations also, right? Gold is something which cuts through all social strata. It doesn't matter what caste, creed, region you belong to. Gold is something that the entire country believes in and rallies behind. Even the most financially literate guy will have about 10 to 15% exposure in gold as an asset class in his portfolio. And that made the selection pretty easy for us. We thought we'll choose gold and create simplest product with zero friction where people can simply start investing in less than 45 seconds from the time he installs the app. And we offer them three simple ways to invest. One is daily savings where they set up a mandate like invest 50 for me every day. One-time investments, whenever you have some extra cash, you can come and deploy. And lastly, uh, roundups. Every time you do any sort of spend, we track that spend and we round it up to the nearest 10 and we invest that money in gold. That's how we are enabling people to start their journey of savings. And, and the product is super simple, like you just described, but behavior change, which underpins usage, obviously isn't simple. How do you think about changing behavior in a product like JAR? So we had to simplify the product in every sense, not just the UI, UX and all of those things, but also the language that we use within the product. For example, instead of saying portfolio, like any other investment platform says, we call it locker because that's where a common man preserves his wealth in. And instead of say optimizing for the value, we optimize for quantum. When you open the app, we say you own 30 grams of gold. We do not say your net investment value is 1.8 lakh rupees because gold is always measured in quantum. If you ask someone how much gold you have, they say like I have 50 grams of gold, 100 grams of gold. That's globally true. Like I have so many ounces of gold. And same thing with land, right? You never mention the value of land, how much land you have. You say I have 10 acres of land. You don't say I have 10 million dollars worth of land. So we took a lot of such social cues, cultural cues into consideration and we embedded those things into the platform. At the same time, we try to understand how humans think, how what are the cognitive loads that come into them, come into their decision-making process, when do they become indecisive about something. And we slowly blended those things into the platform itself. For example, when we figured out like a user is opening the app way too many times. And if he's on the home screen, that means he has done about seven, eight decisions already. Like where is my phone? Pick up my phone, unlock my phone, think of jar, search for jar, unlock jar. Now I'm in the home screen. He's done so many decisions. His next decision should not create any sort of cognitive load. So we came up with a simple card which says, hey, anyway, you have opened the app, why did you invest in? We literally say this. Anyway, you open that. Why do you do save 10 more? And people laugh and end up saving. And this creates that habit. And like this, we have put in so many small things, which is missed in plain sight. But without users' knowledge, they pick up the hints and they start investing and they start feeling good about themselves. And it's all about making him feel good. What we deliver is the right habit. And I think our users are lapping onto it. Uh, and that's what they love about it. Without their knowledge, without their active participation, they're able to build meaningful savings over a period of time, which otherwise they wouldn't have had. 
Well, and a big contributor to behavior change is cultural relevance also, right? So something that I think more Western folks have appreciated in listening to this podcast, but many have not, is the idea and the fact that India is really 30 countries in one. So most outsiders look at India as a monolith, but in reality, each territory is incredibly different. Festivals, languages, cultural norms. I point that out because actually the elegance of the simplicity of the solution from a product perspective and a user perspective is incredibly complicated from a back-end perspective when you start taking all of these elements and considerations into play. Yes, absolutely. We built so much of intelligence over geospatial data. For example, if a user is in Lucknow, we know what is the general trend of Lucknow users, their lifestyles and all of those things. What is the ideal time for me to nudge him to make an investment or ideal time for me to nudge him to complete a certain task like say KYC or something like that. So we have built specific journeys based on geospatial data, based on the language preference, based on various other social cues that he has given so far with us. And we continuously build custom feed based on that user's user behavior in the past, user behaviors, the likeliness of user doing something in the future. We optimize continuously for that and we see great results. For example, we came up with a feature called Shubh The whole thesis was that the financial literate guy behaves irrationally around Murat trading during Ganteras, the Diwali festival. Even the most literate guys go up and rally the market for no reason. They think if I invest today, if I trade today, the rest of the year will be good. We brought it to the simplest of the simplest way where we took the Hindu calendar where which will have about seven, eight auspicious moments throughout the year, throughout the month. And we simply nudge the user that, hey, next two hours is auspicious. We simply say next two hours is Shubhukarat. And people go rally the transactions at an insane manner. And we see this regularly happening over and over. We have blended so many small cultural nuances, which is sometimes hyper-localized. It could be around movies, it could be around cricket, it could be around festivals, it could be about language, it could be about the slang which is used in particular region. We optimize for everything, the rate at which we write copies for push notification, the rate at which we experiment in concentrated regions, it's amazing result and it's a continuous process. We see this regularly. We are to a great extent, we learn every day from our users and we let our ignorance guide us. It's as simple as that. But what we are trying to do is we are trying to understand their ways of life and trying to build products which are in alignment with that. The most culturally relevant aspect of the product, I think, even when you abstract all these little nuances and specifics out, is gold. We talked a little bit about gold in Indian culture earlier. Help me understand the mechanics. So how do people buy gold today? They're obviously not buying physical bricks, or maybe they are. How do they buy gold via jar? Help me understand a little bit more about how the purchase of gold actually occurs today and how it's different in something like jar. Sure. See, right now, most of the users buy gold in a physical jewelry format. So that's the most preferred format. The second format is bullion, that is coins or bars. Third thing is, this is for financially literate folks. They invest in gold bonds, sovereign gold bonds or ETFs, gold ETFs. This population is very, very, very minimal. Hardly a couple of million users in a billion, 1.4 billion country. And the last one is digital gold. That is what we offer. Digital gold is a fractionalized ownership of gold 
which is secured in actual vaults. So whenever user buys, say, invest 100 rupees, 100 rupees worth of gold is actually bought and preserved in a vault. We work with backend logistics company called Safe Gold, and the custodian of the gold is Brinks, and there's an external trustee which validates every transaction. And user can have three outs for it. So user can sell the gold and get the cash back whenever he's in need of cash, or he can get the gold delivered you know, once he hits a certain ownership, or even when he can, he can exchange it with actual jewelry at any of the leading chains. These are the multiple options that he has with JAR. The most convenient thing about us is that in every other format, minimum ticket size starts at about half a gram or one gram, which is about 3,000 or seven 6,000 rupees. With us, you can start with as low as just 10 rupees. That's the flexibility that we offer to our consumers. And the growth of the product has been staggering. I mean, you guys, uh, you have over 10 million users in less than two years. Philosophically, you've shared with me that a key insight and thought process in building the product was this principle that 99% of people are good. I think it's very unique and it's interesting and it speaks actually to why the business has been able to get so many users in such a quick time frame. Expand on what that phrase or that principle means and how does that actually get built in to the product itself? Absolutely. See, this whole thesis of 99% people are good started. It came across to me when I read uh, Upstarts about Airbnb and Uber, where how Brain Chesky explains that his core principle of operating Airbnb is that 99% people are good and people also believe that other people are good. And because of that, you dare to stay in a stranger's home or you let a stranger inside your home or you dare to get into a stranger's car or you let a stranger sit in your car. That's the basic working principle of b 2 Uber or Airbnb or any of such products. And that kind of extended on uh, services that I was part of the company before I started JAR, which was Bounce, which was a dockless scooter sharing. So when it comes to JAR, my core belief is that most of the people are good and they will at least expect basic goodness for themselves. Everyone has the right intent. They have the right intent to eat right, to sleep right, to work hard, to study hard. They have right intents about themselves in meaningful way. If you ask anyone, everyone says that I want to do all, all the right things for myself. But creating the least path of friction where they can do that, exercise those things, achieve those things is what makes it work. And that was the basic core principles that how do you evoke that emotion that I should do something good for myself today? And how do you tap into that right intentions in them? How do you evoke that intention and convert that intent into an action? That's what we work on. We believe that construction of instrument is a science by itself, be it your mutual funds or ETFs or anything, SGBL, bonds and all of those things. But distribution is an art and science by itself. And to distribute to a country like India, you need to be completely aligned to their idiosyncrasies, their personas, their insecurities, the indecisiveness that kicks in, their level of education, their level of awareness. You need to align to all of those things and tap into that right emotion and trigger that intent and convert that into action. That's what we work on. That's what enables us to acquire so many users and get them onto the right habit and keep on that habit. That's what is working for us. And we are continuously learning. We are continuously learning. For us, dashboards and database is the holy grail. That's where we learn about our users. We understand what's working for them, what's not working for them. We experiment really fast. We have built an amazing team, which is quite ruthless when it comes to the rate at which we experiment. 
and we decided to not get distracted by so many things given the pace at which we are going given the rate at which we are growing a uh, lot of distractions keep do coming towards us why don't you do this why don't you do that why don't you look at this this product is doing this this product is doing that and we understood that most of my users will not get distracted so i shouldn't get distracted let's slowly build and do it the right way and that's what is working for us it's a product that has inbuilt virality and a network effect and really reads upon itself because once you start seeing investment patterns going up in a positive way, there's kind of a word amount coefficient and a virality coefficient that comes into place. And I think it's actually a healthy virality coefficient, unlike many trading platforms where you don't want to encourage virality because it encourages negative behavior. In this case, you know, you're just encouraging accelerated or increased savings. How did you guys actually break the cold start? You've gone to 10 million users in two years. How did you get the first 5,000 users, 500 users? Was it the same kind of tactic or is it a different approach and methodology? See, uh, so, uh, investment is always a social behavior. Even the most financially literate folks or people who have made up the intent that they want to save and invest, uh, have the right intent, they wait for social signals. Hardly people have the tenacity or the bandwidth to go and look at how the particular industry is doing or a particular company is doing. Is something good happening? What is their trend lines? Have? What are their targets? How often have they met their targets? Should I invest in this? No one does all these things. There's a guy I know, he does great in investments. He has told me to invest in, in this company, so I will end up investing. So there's a great level of trust is there from the known network. And at the same time, a lot of outsourcing of decision-making happens. We kind of took those cues into consideration. And what we did is, what I did was I ran a Facebook, uh, Insta, sorry, LinkedIn post survey asking people from tier two towns. I clearly mentioned that I don't want anyone from tier one, but I want only people from tier two town to work as an intern with me and the marketing intern. And I got insane amount of response from that couple of hundreds. And what we did was we set up an army here back in working with my own set of interns, created WhatsApp groups at massive quantity with each one of this intern that I signed up. And what we did was we gave them a lot of nice content, not being pretentious, not being patronizing about money and all, creating very relatable content about the everyday pitfalls that we do, like being having that extra desert or not controlling ourselves, not buying that one more t-shirt that you didn't want. All those things, the reasons why we run out of cash or reasons why you, you don't have this, you don't have that. We made, started making very relatable content and that picked up good traction. And by the time we were close to launch of our product, we said, yeah, I do all these things, do keep spending. We're not telling you to stop spending, but start saving when you spend. And that's how we slowly introduced our product and it worked gave us great amount of traction in the very first month itself. And from there on, we built massive distribution on various other things. We went on IPL, we got on board some really great celebs. We made some really fun content around savings, uh, why someone should save, how to manage your aspirations or manage your desires, manage your ego and all of those things while spending. And help people save. And we also built many social features within the product, which also brought in a great amount of K factor within the product. We built features like Vasuli. We always lend money to our friends and family. And asking for that money back is the most awkward conversation you usually have. And what we did was we built a feature called Vasuli where you go keen that I have lent this much money to this friend or this family member. We take over from there and we remind them in a very non-intrusive or embarrassing way with using memes like, hey, 
knock knock something like that we use absolute memes from bollywood movies to local movies and all of those things and that created a great sense of virality and people started king and uh, funniest thing is i've seen guys using vasuli to even remind their moms that you, you took money from me paid back we saw great amount of variety from that and we are continuously experimenting on these lines to build as much as referral network as possible most investing products are purchasing experiences you told me that when we were in india together but you guys have thought about it differently which is i think led to the growth success you've thought of it as a consumption experience explain the difference between the idea that an investing product is a purchasing experience versus a consumption experience as i said the existing products out there in the market are built for high intent users with good disposable cash who has made up his mind that i will invest so much that works for the user base who invest first and spends rest but rest of the india it doesn't work like that so you need to change that into a consumption pattern where it becomes their part of way of life and you need to figure out how long the decision making stretches whether it is comfortable doing a everyday commitment whether it is comfortable doing a monthly commitment whether he is doing comfortable doing a one off commitments like one time investments whenever he has some extra cash and all of those things so you need to convert this purchase experience to a consumption experience where it's all driven through visits and it's driven through experience consumption experience where how do you let him continue from where he left off how do you nudge him about completing a certain investment for himself many industries has figured it out you need to give him different metrics to measure like healthcare gives different metrics or beat sports and all of those guys the way they give you different metrics to measure we figured out that what metrics nudges the user to change his perspective about investments and that's how we started building money experiments and we see great great conversions here every time for a particular cohort particular language works and we sim- immediately see 15 20 30% higher number of transactions or higher ticket sizes from this cohort it's not like there is one silver bullet for everyone we need to continuously identify different cohorts because people have different reasons for saving or they have different goals for saving some people may be saving for peace of mind some people may be saving for their marriage some people may be saving for their wedding or like for buying a home or buying a car or paying off their loans so it could be they are saving for their sister's wedding or whatever it is there are multiple reasons to save and same copy doesn't work for everyone same product flows doesn't work for everyone so we need to same feed doesn't work for everyone so we continuously work on this experience for consumers to give them a larger cause and convert that into an experience for them and that has worked for us and that is continuously we are doing more and more experimentations to understand the user in a much better manner and how do you think about building trust inside the product so india is a low trust country by definition and you're dealing with money something that most indians that you're building for as we discussed in this conversation have a pretty strong scarcity mindset around yes see uh, trust is something that is built over a period of time it can't happen overnight there's no switch that happens trust is as a, it's like it happens slowly as you move forward for example how easy it is to get in how easy it is to get out how effectively are you communicating him on any status 
the kind of ads that you run, the kind of people that you bring on board as ambassadors for yourself. What we did was we went on did TV commercials with brand ambassadors like Nana Patekar, Nawazuddin Siddiqui, Prakash Rai. We went regional some cases. We went. We took different markets into consideration, and we took a celebrity who is popular in those regions, and we went did ads with them, and we married it with IPL. the biggest cricket extravaganza that happens in india the club cricket i think came together and slowly the trust happened over a period of time and we can clearly see there is at least clear forex more number of transaction happening from every user compared to the beginning of the year and the end of the year so trust is that happens that's something that compounds for example how easy easy it is you make it for him to sign up how easy it is for him to do the first transaction how easy it is for him to take out the money that he has invested everything keeps adding up piling on for building trust for a long period of time when we met in november in bangalore you shared three rapid fire insights with me that could each be their own episode I'd be remiss if we didn't mention them here and at least expand on them briefly. And so I'll go through each one and I'd love to get your reaction and a little bit more expansion on what each actually means. And it doesn't have to be in the context of jar, but it can be more so in the context of the Indian technology and startup landscape. The first insight you shared with me was this idea of business model arbitrage. So Indians are building businesses today that are profitable and operate at razor thin margins. Explain that a bit more and what are the implications for when these Indian companies expand outside of India? Absolutely given how price sensitive the market is Indian it's not just the users who are price sensitive even the companies like us we are very price sensitive we negotiate really hard and that's easily reflected upon the way SaaS companies also price based on the purchasing power of each nation given all these circumstances Indians love stuff at free of cost or no cost or low cost so the companies here learned how to build successful products which can operate at scale at a razor thin margin someone like say razor pay someone like paytm someone like phone pay they learned how to cater to billions and billions of transactions every month at a razor thin margin and still be net positive at a unit economics per transaction wise and that's what is very very interesting if you consider companies outside india take payment gateways as example they are never optimized around cost companies are very comfortable paying 40 cents 50 cents 60 cents as transaction fees and indians you can't find companies who are ready to pay that kind of transaction fee apart from mdr this is their layered cost and india companies have figured out to operate and be profitable without these layered costs and when companies like razor pay and all goes global it's going to be like clash of civilizations to be to a great extent it will be very very interesting to see that how a product which is already built and tested for scale it's like tested in battlefields and is very successful goes and starts disrupting markets outside india it's going to be really really interesting it could be products like clever tab it could be products like razor pay it could be products like postman browser stack all these guys we have figured out how to build business at razor thin margins and all of these companies are not built just for india everyone has global aspirations we will for sure go all over the world competing with best of the best so this is relevant and related to your second insight insight number 2 which is this idea that outsourcing from versus to india is the next trend So Gen One Indian companies scaled because they offered labor arbitrage to the West, but now it's becoming inverted. It's something different. Expand on that a little bit more. 
Absolutely. I mean, we are the product of the first gen IT bloom. Labor, I mean, the arbitrage in overall workforce cost brought a lot of IT jobs to India. We did most of the backend work. We did most of the grunt work. We did all the coding ideation usually happened in the West. Slowly people shifted there, became part of ideation itself, slowly brought back that uh, intelligence. It's like three levels, right? We are processing data. Then we started processing information. Now we started processing knowledge. Now with all this three levels of information, we started building products ourselves. That's the outcome of, uh, you have products like Zoho, Freshdesk and all coming out of India and locking heads with biggest of the biggest CRMs across the globe. And that's what I mean, world-class products being built out of India, which kind of competes with uh, expecting, earlier it was servicing platforms, right? That is Zoho and Freshdesk. Now we have engineering products coming out, be it browser tag, be it uh, Postman, be it so many other products like that. It's going to be very interesting because we are going to take over everything. And even in case of Web3, the quantum of engineers working on blockchain technology in India is going to be very interesting because the kind of products that is going to be built in India will be very, very sound. And given that we have worked with most of the global partners, we have pretty good sense of understanding in terms of what is expected. So what the product should do or to what level it should do. And it helps us to go global much easier. The last one which relates to this is your third insight, which is Indians are hungrier than ever. This generation of Indian founders is going for gold, I'm not intended. They're focused on building the next great company out of India, and they have no interest in being a successful local player. As you see, if you take history, if you take thousands of years of history for India, the Indians were great in building stuff. Go ornaments, be it textile, be it any of the metallurgy and all of those things. And we did not stay back with just doing that, right? We took it to the the famous Silk Road. Indians went and traded all these products across the globe and the land routes were cut off. People came looking for us through sea routes. There was a little bit of disruption in this flow of events. And the last three generations technically sacrificed a lot where the first generation made sure that the offspring survive, the next generation made sure that their offspring study hard and be self-sufficient who we are. And the next generation that is coming after is passion generation. They will, their parents have already bought a home for them. They have given them a good education. They don't have to worry. They don't have to take care of their aging parents and all of those things. They have all the time in the world to figure out what they want to do and be good at it and go after it. That's a uh, typical, I mean, it's a cyclic thing and it has to happen. This generation is going to build world-class products. This generation is going to build world-class businesses. And it's going to be an uprising of India. And I don't have any doubts about that. The last question, Nisha, I'll ask you and I ask everybody that comes on the show is a two-part question. And the question is, if India reaches its potential over the next decade, let's say 2030, why will that have been? And if it's the inverse, it's the opposite. If it doesn't reach its potential by 2030, what will have gone wrong? I don't see any reason. There are multiple reasons that why will that be because of the kind of uh, demographic dividend that we have, the kind of young population who are so aspirational, who are ready to take risks. GDP is growing at a consistent rate. We are becoming self-sufficient in various things. All of those things are going in the right direction. Uh, there is no reason for it to not be successful. At the same time, the only reason things can go wrong is completely unforeseen events, which is going to be geopolitical scenarios, wars or pandemic. Those are the only things that can impact. Other than that, I think there is no looking back from where we stand at this point of time. 
Well, Misha, this was awesome. I, I really enjoyed you coming on. I know you're super busy. You were sharing with me before, and I won't reveal the numbers, but JAR is about to hit a really incredible and exciting milestone. And so appreciate you taking the time and sharing your insights. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. To keep learning about the topics discussed, head to joincolossus.com, where you'll find our curated list of resources, a transcript for this episode, and a library of conversations on investing and business. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com.